the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602508-0960. Hope you like those uh, fingers from my friends, uh, dear friends, practically brothers, Thano and Dimitri Sanas, local musicians, uh, internationally great reputation, their version of Birdland, an old uh, weather report song. Anyway, um, you may have heard the ads. Dennis Prager is coming to town uh, for a cigar night. I'm going to be asking him and interviewing with him. Of course, you will get to see him as well, keeping it a small event. 960thepatriot.com is where you can get those tickets. Great food, cigars, beverages. Dennis Prager uh, and I will be engaging in a dialogue. I was just thinking about how um, how long I've known of, at least, if not known Dennis, and the trajectory of how big his presence has become. When I lived in uh, Los Angeles he was a Sunday night local radio talk show host. It was a Sunday, and I think the show only lasted an hour. I think it was only an hour show, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I think. Religion on the line? I think it was. And now you think of him, and he's just done tremendous national and international work. And I wonder if anyone has brought more people to conservatism or to at least in the title of one of his book's names, Think a Second Time, than he has. Anyway, um, his latest PragerU video is on a topic I speak on a lot, talk about a lot around here, slightly, slightly angled a bit differently. I talk about my truth. He's talking about don't trust your conscience. I, I happen to think one of the worst pieces of advice it comes from Hamlet. One not great character saying it to another not great character, Polonius to Claudius, I think it is, in Hamlet, to thine own self be true. It's it's not good advice. People love saying it. It's not good. And, of course, resulting from that, we get this notion of my truth, which is opposite of the truth. And we get this notion of trust your conscience, as Dennis talks about. You want to you want to play it? Let's let's play it. Let's have a discussion about this. Uh, let's let's have that Prager you on. Don't trust your conscience. Everyone has heard the expression, "Let your conscience be your guide." In fact, many people base their entire moral life on the idea that their conscience will keep them from doing bad things. I have something very important to tell you. It won't. Not for most people, and not most of the time. Throughout Western history. People took it as a given that the conscience was not enough, that God and God-based moral instruction were also necessary, that so many people believe today that the conscience is all they need to act morally is a product of modern secular society. In fact, it's just one more example of the many irrational ideas that our secular society has produced. Others include men give birth, Western civilization is no better than any other. And if you're colorblind, you're racist. 
But none of these beliefs is more irrational than the belief that the conscience is all you need, that it can replace God, the Bible, and Judeo-Christian values as a producer of moral behavior. The reality is that most people's consciences are, to say the least, easily manipulated. It is hard to imagine any aspect of human life more malleable than the conscience. It's as malleable as putty and as sturdy. If the conscience were morally effective, what evildoer or supporter of evil would sleep well at night? Yet people who commit evil, whether for personal reasons, such as murderers, thieves, and rapists, or for ideological reasons, such as Nazis, communists, and Islamic terrorists, sleep as soundly as anyone else. Also, if the conscience were morally effective, why doesn't it stop anyone who commits evil from doing so? That alone should end the issue, but let's continue. Virtually every individual who has committed or supported evil has had a clear conscience. That's why I let conscience be my guide is meaningless intellectually and morally. Most people get it backwards. People's feelings and behavior produce their conscience. Their conscience doesn't produce their feelings and behavior. Most people do either what they want to do and then tell their conscience that what they did was right, or their feelings decide what is right and they label those feelings conscience. Here's another proof that the conscience is largely useless in directing moral behavior. People on the opposite sides of every conflict are equally convinced they are listening to their conscience. Take the morally clear example of World War II. German soldiers and concentration camp guards followed their consciences, but so did the Allied troops and leaders who fought them. The Western spies who gave atom bomb secrets to the great mass murderer Joseph Stalin followed their consciences, but so did the anti-communists who opposed Stalin. Even the Japanese soldiers, who used Korean women as comfort women, women they gang-raped day after day, all followed their consciences. But so did the Allied troops and leaders who fought the Japanese in World War II. The list is endless. And we don't need the extreme example of World War II. People who believe the human fetus has a right to live, unless its death is necessary to save the life of the mother, and those who do not believe the human fetus has a right to live unless the mother wants it to, are both equally convinced their consciences dictate their views. People who believe it is moral to surgically remove the healthy breasts of any girl or young woman who says she is a boy have a completely clear conscience, as do those who think this act constitutes mutilation. Given the moral unreliability of the conscience... Conscience means little more than what one feels is right or wrong. In other words, in most people, conscience is just a euphemism for what I feel. So then, given the frequent uselessness of the conscience, how is one to be morally guided? And the answer is by building a conscience. The conscience we are born with needs to be developed just like the muscles we are born with need to be developed. It takes four things. Truth, because lies are the mother of evil. Courage, because good is impossible without it. God, 
that is the God of the Bible, and reason, because God without reason leads to fanaticism, and because reason without God leads to moral chaos. In fact, irony of ironies, reason without God ends with the death of reason. Unless, of course, you believe men give birth is rational. So you can let your conscience be your guide, but only if you build it properly, with truth, courage, God, and reason. I'm Dennis Prager. And that's so important. There is so much in that five minutes. First of all, yes, your conscience can be your guide. He concedes it. If you guide your conscience, you have to guide your conscience. I have long said that you can't think yourself into better behavior. People who are stewing in their own misery and th or addiction, whatever it is, you know, keep thinking about doing something about it, think they'll do something about it, read a book to do something about it. They have to do something about it. Action will change thinking more than thinking will change action. We're going to talk to Dr. Mark Bauerlein a little bit later in the hour on the attack on and death of Western civilization. Western civilization can be defined a few different ways, but Dennis, whether he meant to or not, did it with those four elements of how to build your conscience, truth, courage, God, and reason. Those last two, I think, are probably the best definitions of how you get Western civilization. Leo Strauss called it the wedding or the marriage of Athens and, Jeru and Jerusalem. Athens being, of course, what's represented by the ancient philosophy of people like Plato, Aristotle, Greek philosophy. And then, of course, Jerusalem being biblical uh, revelation and truth. You put those two together and you can have a just society or you can approach what it means to be and understand what it means to have a just society. And we've killed it. We've just killed it with the I, the will, the personal, the my truth. We'll be right back. Folks, if you don't like the way the administration is handling the economy, what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to either the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio, an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, you can compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. It's an investment where your interest is compounded daily. There are no fees. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. I'm talking about my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. Been there plenty of times. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch. and No one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them, and you can too. A due diligence-approved firm. Why Refi can get you an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. It's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. There's my friend Larry in Tempe. Hello, Larry. Hi, Seth. How are you? I've been listening and 
as I usually do. I don't call often, but you're bringing up this topic of conscience and Dennis's great video kind of spurred me to call in. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think the biggest issue with this is self Good. for each person. When self gets in the way and becomes first, then everybody else obviously goes someplace else. It's consideration for others goes away. And that takes out of the equation even the fact that just there are times when we, we may be right. But if it's all about me, there's plenty of times I'm not right. And so self is the biggest obstacle for us as humans in how we treat one another, how we interact within society, how we move through day-to-day events that either are going to knock us down or they're going to build us up. And those issues we see often, you know, the left is filled with them, and it's not certainly restricted to the left. We Anybody is struggles with self at times. And Avoya doesn't have quite enough humility, one of the least praised qualities of human existence, humility. Um, Because when we think we're right about everything and we need no help from others, then we don't see that there's times we're wrong. When we're wrong, then we fall. If we think we're right, we tear everybody down along the way. And as Dennis said in his video, then men get pregnant and can have babies or teenage girls can cut their breasts off. And just those things of self-first puts everything else in the background. And that's not just a stumbling block, but that's a pitfall. It's something that is the biggest problem in our, the problem in our society is self. Oh, you could, you could have done this video, Larry. What kind of dog you have, Larry? Well, that one who decided he needed to speak his mind. That's fine. Um, he is, I'm not sure exactly. He was, <laughs> he was, a, he was one that my wife's family, uh, brother's family had, and he was from the town. Oh, wonderful. Part, maybe Minster Schnauzer, and maybe some Chihuahua, maybe. Oh, a little guy, huh? Little guy with a well, loud he is, bark, he's about, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's about 12, 13 pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. And wants to make himself known. Well, let us his know his name. Voice. What is his name? His name is Brutus. Good enough. Yeah. Brutus. Yeah. Sometimes he's, his biggest fault is he does like to speak <laughs> and make his presence known and he doesn't really like to listen to me tell him not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, um,. Brutus was uh, one of the most uh, famous uh, assassins of Julius Caesar, right? Yeah. And um, Caesar, um, we learn a lot from Roman myth. We learn a lot from Greek myth. We learn a lot from their tales. I was thinking just next door a little bit to what you were talking about. You were describing Mm -hmm. a Greek myth of Narcissus. 
over which yeah. we get the word narcissism mm-hmm. or narcissistic personality disorder, where the only important thing is the self. That's what you were right. describing, me. There's no outside truth. There's no outside concerns. Other people's feelings are nothing more than flotsam and jetsam. Mm-hmm. As long as you make yourself feel good, then that is your truth. That is your right. highest thing, yourself. This It's been around, obviously, since that long, but it really took off in the 70s. And uh, Thomas Wol- Tom Wolfe, you know, the, the novelist Tom Wolfe, The Right yeah. Stuff and Bonfire of the Vanities, etc. He uh, wrote a famous essay in the mid-70s labeling it the me decade, where everything was about me. And the inspiration for the point of his essay was his noticing of all these rise, this this big rise of cults that was taking place in the 70s, primarily in California, cults and self-improvement seminars based Mm -hmm. on making yourself feel good, being the most important thing, and replacing traditional religion. People, I mean, they became cultish followers of these, you know, self-help, interesting phrase itself, philosophies Mm -hmm. um, in replacement of traditional religion, which is really about the other guy, isn't it? Isn't right? Isn't Judeo-Christian well, about, values about the other guy, the other person? God first, and then sure, and then helping someone else, getting out loving, of your own way. You See that? I think is good advice. Yeah. I think better than well, let my conscience be my guide. I think get out of your own way is a much better is a much better principle to live. <laughs> you're by. right. You're right. Get out of your own way, and then by the end of the seventies, a professor named Christopher Lash wrote a great book called The Culture of Narcissism. <laughs> The culture of narcissism. And because of what you've said, I have to run because I'm doing an interview in a second here, Larry, with a, with sure. a guest. And I'd love to have you on much longer. But I think what you have done, and maybe if I can make this a down payment for tomorrow, is I might do a monologue tomorrow on this topic, uh, the culture of narcissism and what you said. And maybe you can call back tomorrow and we can have a longer talk about it. What do you say? I will try to do that. If Brutus lets you. Right, right. If he doesn't decide, he there's a lot first. of people trying to silence you. You know what you say? You say a two, Brutus. All right, Larry. <laughs> right. God bless. Thank you. Hello, Larry. Love it. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It is a delight to bring back to the show our good friend, uh, Dr. Mark Bauerlein, professor emeritus of uh, at uh, Emory University. His most recent book, The Dumbest Generation. Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults, an important book that explains a lot, has a great piece out, Western Civ is Conservative, question mark. For today's wokesters, the problem with Western civilization isn't that it's conservative, racist, sexist, or Eurocentric, but that it's liberal. Mark, we talk a lot about Western Civ here, Western civilization, the importance of saving the West. Um, it's there's been a tear in a campaign for about a little over a generation now to try and get it out of our schools, higher education. Tell us what's going on here, Mark. Well, again, starting, I, I guess it really, the seeds go back to the 1960s. Yeah. And a lot of the, uh, you know, the civil rights movement, the, the anti-colonialist worldwide movement, which really was uh, turning on the West as a cause of victimization, not a, a source of enlightenment. It's not what the early 
civil rights movement people believe, but certainly by the late 60s, the more militant side of things uh, turn against America in the way in which, for instance, um, in the way in which Martin Luther King, yeah. uh, in the last year of his life, actually became rather, rather uh, a lot of, lot of anti-American statements that right. you didn't hear from him even, you know, three or four years before. And it really spread into, um, it really spread into uh, uh, academia uh, through, you know, the long march through the institutions. And when you, when you got the attack upon the old Western Civ canon, the old, the old uh, uh, ways in which the schools used to believe that the great legacy from Homer all the way up to the early 20th century was the great course of civilization. And it was spoken of in triumphalist terms. Right. It was said, you come to college in the first year, you're going to read the greatest writers, the greatest artists, the greatest ideas that have shaped our great society. And to me, I was a big liberal in the 90s. And I thought, well, of course, this is a liberal formation. Right. This is the spread of individual rights. It is about dissent. It is about free speech, the First Amendment. Well, of course, this is this is a, a, a liberalizing tendency. And, and boy, suddenly Western Civ became the bad guy. Western Civ became reactionary. And all I can say at this point is the leftists on campus who speak this way, Seth, they haven't read very much of it. These That's are right. not very well-educated people right. offering these criticisms. I mean, it is embarrassing to listen to Ibram Kendi and other anti-racists speak. You think, are you a college sophomore? Right. This is really one of the problems. It is a, a, a kind of uh, a dumbing down, not of the school, not of the students. It's a dumbing down of the professorate. That's where we are now. That's right, because if you believe, as you put it, in human rights or the dignity dignity of man or maybe the inviolability of conscience, if you're looking for a philosophy that generates or supports or defends all those things, you're really looking at Western Civ. I can hardly do better than to quote Martin Luther King at Crozier uh, Seminary when he said uh, – let me see. I have the quote here. When I entered Crozier, I turned to a serious study of the social and ethical theories of the great philosophers from Plato and Aristotle down to Rousseau, Hobbes, Bentham, Mill, and Locke. All of these masters stimulated my thinking. And, 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 and Mark, I got to think that when we engage in even self-analysis, self-critique, and questioning the very canons that we have, we get that, too, interestingly or ironically enough, from the theories out of Western civilization. We're destroying wait, everything wait. that led to the questioning of that thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I say the leftists, yeah. the identity politicians have torn it down. But, you know, the liberals, the moderate liberals, Seth, they don't they don't get off the hook on this because one reason why I left liberalism and went toward conservatism is that in the 90s, when I saw the whole Western canon, the great literature, the great work, you know, they're all racist and sexist, blah, sure. blah, blah. When I saw that deterioration happening and it was all coming out of the identity politicians, the leftists. They were vastly outnumbered by the moderate liberals That's right. on the faculty. That's right. And I watched, I sat and watched the Robert Little. They said nothing. That's right. No objections. They were so scared That's right. of leftists. They were so frightened of the charge. You're racist. Yep. You're sexist. 
that they lowered their heads and they let it all happen. And that's when I started thinking, there's something wrong with modern-day liberalism. Yeah. You can't, you can't stand up to the identity politicians. You can't stand up to the race and gender hacks in our midst, even though you vastly outnumber them. What is wrong with you? Don't you have any convictions? Do you stand for nothing? Let me pick up on that short segment here, longer one coming up. We'll be right back with Professor Mark Bauerlein. You can see his defense of the West. Western Civ is conservative, question mark, at amgreatness.com. Dr. Bauerlein and I will be right back. Professor Mark Bauerlein is our guest, B-A-U-E-R-L-E-I-N. His most recent book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. Professor, the liberals caved to the left. Jesse Jackson led marches at Stanford. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civis has to go. Why Why would the liberals cower? Because when you think of the of the authors, the writers, the thinkers that you were quoting that we're talking about here, um, they didn't offer weak tea or small beer. Their stuff was strong medicine. Were they just so intimidated against the charges of racism? And I ask about racism specifically because if you ask what is wrong with Western Civ, if you ask what is wrong with the dialogues of Plato or what Aristotle's teaching about truth is, the answer is just the color of their skin, I suppose. There's nothing inherently wrong with what they write. It's certainly... It's certainly as, as sophisticated as anything I've read from Abraham, excuse me, Abraham Kendi, right? It's got to be merely the issue of the color of the skin of the authors. Or am I missing something? Dead white males. Yeah. You know, too many of those guys. And the, the bogus argument was, well, these students of color, mm-hmm. they need to see their own identity represented on the syllabus. Mm-hmm. Now... I think that that is a furious premise. And well, my, my, I always said all the students of whatever color deserve to read the best. Mm-hmm. They deserve to be educated in the, the greatest brilliance, the, the greatest genius. Come on, don't dumb it down on, again, these, these silly identity fixations that you have. Now, you, you said, why? Why were they intimidated? So I, can, I don't know if I really have a good answer to that. I, I find the liberal sensibility today inscrutable in that they sit there and watch all of these illiberal actions taking place, and they just lower their heads. They won't, they won't say, stop. I mean, in the old days of the Democratic Party, if some youngster like AOC came along and started trashing the leadership, uh, started getting out there in front of, of everyone, they would say, hey, you're a kid. Shut up. Do your job and vote. But they, wouldn't, they wouldn't let these fire breathers get out there. I, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what happened. Remember, I mean, Bill Clinton had his sister soldier. Yeah, moment. Can right, you imagine right. any Democrat politician doing that today? No, you couldn't do it today. Um, I want to. I want to. I want to step back just a second to that issue of racially or ethnically minority students saying there's nothing for us in these dead white male writings, if you will. I remember my old teacher Harry Jaffa 
once asked, is there anything in Plato's Republic that speaks to white justice or Nicomachean ethics speaking to white happiness or the, or, 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 or the white sumum bonum? Does Locke's second treatise indicate that it's just talking about white rights? I mean, the, the, these things were essentially non-racial. The, these thinkers were non-racial. The things they talked about had nothing to do with race. It seems to me the minority students were looking for race where it didn't exist. I wonder if you think that's fair. Well, Seth, in the old days, the great books programs were regarded as progressive. Right. Because they were created for working class people, people who weren't going to the private schools, who were being disadvantaged by not being exposed to Plato and Shakespeare, while those private school privileged upper income kids were and that this inequity in great books was actually fostering the economic inequity in in our world so again i i do not understand i mean you you, you know you could say that this is just a sign of the decadence yeah. of our culture you know when when intellectual standards start to give way to identity fixations, we're in trouble. It's uh, it's not going to produce smart, competent people. The pipeline, I mean, I I think the pipeline is not screening out. As as Donald Trump put it, I think one of the the best statements he ever made was, we are led by some very stupid people. Right. And, And... And if you you look around, how many of our leadership just seems to be doing dumb, incompetent things over and over? You know, we we find ourselves uh, uh, having to obey deeply unimpressive human beings. And and that's where the real problem is. Yeah, because I saw an interview you did recently, I think, in the Christian Science Monitor on the idea, the the issue of the marketplace of ideas. If you talk to your AOC types or that generation about the importance of ideas, free speech, that kind of thing, normative absolutes, I think they look at you with blank stares because of precisely what you're saying. I think they have no idea what you're talking about. I think they have they no really idea don't. because of just what you said. They were not brought up with any of this. I have been in meetings of educators when we are laying out curriculum and, and standards, and they want to make it all about progressive thinking and critical analysis. And I'm, I'm saying here, well, what about the heritage? Right. Let's, right. let's get some of the <laughs> some of the great background, the great tradition. I mean, we want students to read the great satires of Jonathan Swift. Yeah. And Seth, I get blank yeah, stares, yeah. and I realize yeah. they haven't read it. No, no. They don't know th- th- this stuff, and my only response to them is, you do not deserve to be in this room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't belong here uh, drafting curriculum yeah. for, for young Americans. Right. Uh, so, again, th- this gets down to when politics enter into decision-making, criteria of quality deteriorate. It's inevitable that 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 happens. You uh, start hiring on affirmative action, standards are going to go down. You know, you you, you start thinking uh, about political identities, 
and intellectual intellectual yardsticks just they break. I've seen it happen over and over. So, oh no, I I don't want to put that work by Shakespeare on my so I want I want to get some third-rate female dramatist from the 18th century instead. <laughs> there we go. You know, uh, uh, so the, what we're seeing now in America, I think, is uh, when we look at Washington, D.C. leadership, I think what we see is an education system whose collapse uh, really was pretty much complete quite a while ago. Not optimistic, are you? <laughs> well, you know, you've, you've so taught too much literature. What did, what, did King, what, what is it in King Lear? The worst is not so long as we can say this is the worst. <laughs> OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, look, you know, Seth, it doesn't matter if we're going down or not. You still fight. Yeah, of course. You go, Absolutely. You, got, you have to do the right thing. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're going to lose. You, you, you've got to go down fighting. You've got to you've got to care uh, enough to, to say whatever. Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to try. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that uh, there are some good signs. Well, yeah, there. no, there I are. Mean, and we'll and see. you being around and, te- and saying this and teaching it still and writing it and speaking it. Uh, that's a good sign, Mark. There, there You know, we we didn't yeah, yeah, we still we have a lot of use for people like you and you're showing the way. And, you know, you still get publishing contracts. You still edit an important magazine. I mean, this is. This, we're, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're, we're, we're not. And look, what I see is on the on the Democrat side, it's a sour mood yeah. that they're in. They're, they're not happy. They don't feel like they've got real momentum. They they they're disappointed. Yep. Of course, yep. as they as they should be yep. in their own, in their own leaders. I mean, can, what, what is the big win the Democrats since they've been in, in control of the White House. Well, yeah, that's right. well that's right. I mean, they, they, they've done all these little things like uh, DEI garbage through the federal government, but it's sort of sort of the, a national public success. You know, yeah. the withdrawal from Afghanistan, right? The, yep. the handling of, of Russia and China. Yep. Give us give us your great triumph. Yep. Yeah. Of the of the, uh, of the pandemic, is anyone happy? Is anyone proud of your leadership? No, I saw a poll that said only thirty eight percent of Democrats want Joe Biden to run again. That's not a good number, Mark. Wow. I, this was a, this was a, unfortunately a short time, but I wanted to get you on. I just knew I needed to hear your voice today. I want to thank you always for everything, and we'll get you on for a longer segment uh, next time. I appreciate you, sir, so very very much. Anytime, Seth. You got it. Mark Bauerlein, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. You want to read that book. I'm Seth. I'll be right back. That theme just keeps coming back and back. Are we done? Is there still fight left? I, I think I was quoting Whitaker Chambers yesterday, and I'll, I'll just do it again. What Mark said just reminded me so much. What Whitaker Chambers wrote in 1955, it is idle to talk about preventing the wreck of Western civilization. It is already a wreck from within. That is why we can hope to do little more now than snatch a fingernail of a saint from the rack or a handful of ashes from the sticks and bury them secretly in a flower pot against the day, ages hence, 
when a few men begin again to dare to believe that there was once something else, that something else is thinkable and needs some evidence of what it was and the fortifying knowledge that there were those who, at the great nightfall, took loving thought to preserve the tokens of hope and truth. Loving thought to preserve the tokens of hope and truth. That's what we're about. Still there. All right, don't go away. Uh, U.S. Senate candidate Mark Lamb announced today, and he'll be with us in just a few moments. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 